Welcome back to Plane Crash Diaries with me, your pilot and host, Desmond Latham. Each week we look at plane crashes through history and how they have led to improvements in aviation safety. This week, it's the downing in July 2014 of Malaysian Airlines MH17 over the Ukraine, killing all 283 passengers and 15 crew aboard. It's the deadliest incident involving the military shooting down a passenger plane in history. Since then, national airlines have instituted quick action when it comes to new flight plans to avoid conflicts, but there is an unfortunately long history of commercial planes being targeted both in times of war and peace. Airlines have had to make difficult decisions over the more than 100 years of commercial aviation when it comes to wars, and there have been numerous examples of military aircraft and ground forces knocking civilian planes out of the sky. At the end of this podcast, in the History of section, I'll take you through a few examples of these incidents. But first, Malaysian Airlines MH17. On the 17th of July, a notice to airmen, or NOTAM as they are known, had been issued by Ukrainian aviation authorities, which stated that a portion of the eastern Ukrainian sky was temporarily restricted below a minimum altitude of 33,000 feet. Three days before MH17 was shot down, a military aircraft had been hit and downed by Russian-supported East Ukrainian rebels, who then happily used the fact in a propaganda broadcast boasting of their success. As you will hear, the next downing was also celebrated by the missile crew at first, but within an hour that changed to horror when they realized civilians' bodies had fallen onto an East Ukrainian village. Earlier in the same week, the Ukrainian military transport plane that was struck by a Buk missile was flying at 21,000 feet, but some airlines continued to operate close to this restricted area, believing falsely as it turned out, that their cruising operations at 33,000 feet and above would be safe from ground-to-air missiles and that those operating the missile systems could actually differentiate between military and civilian aircraft. They couldn't. The NOTAM, or Notice to Airmen, was on board MH17 and the crew knew about the warning to stay well above 33,000 feet if possible. The ill-fated Boeing 777-passenger jet was en route from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur with 298 people on board, including 80 children, when it was blown out of the air above territory held by Russian-backed separatists. Two-thirds of the passengers were from the Netherlands. It was a tragedy that affected many Dutch people in the way Americans had experienced 9-11. At least 20 family groups were on the aircraft and 80 passengers were under the age of 18. Flight MH17 was a regularly scheduled 11.5-hour flight from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. The aircraft, as I said, was a Boeing wide-body 777-200 registration 9 Mike Mike Romeo Delta, which took off from Amsterdam Airport Schiphol at 10.31 UTC, in other words, Coordinated Universal Time, with a crew of 15. The 283 passengers on board represented at least 10 nationalities, including top scientist Jupp Lange, who was en route to an AIDS conference in Melbourne, Australia. The flight plan, unfortunately, took the aircraft across the entire Ukraine, including the east. The Malaysian airliner was not alone. Three other foreign passenger jets were also in the same radar control sector, but none apparently were flying as low as the 33,000 feet minimum when MH17 was hit by a missile. As Flight 17 approached the Russian border until just before 1320 UTC, 
After advising MH17 to fly a particular route, all communication suddenly ended and air traffic controllers realized that the aircraft had disappeared from radar screens. They knew something was seriously wrong. Shortly afterwards, social media reports began. I remember reading this online at the time working in my newsroom with witnesses reporting a mid-air explosion. Bodies began falling along with wreckage around an area of 20 square miles. That's 50 square kilometers. The largest concentration was found in farmlands and a built-up area just southwest of the village of Khrabov, Ukraine, in separatist-held territory. It was this fact that made the investigation much more difficult as Russia and Eastern rebel soldiers constantly interfered in the process of collecting the bodies and then the evidence. Rescue workers arrived promptly and the separatists handed over the aircraft voice and data recorders to Malaysian authorities, but the armed conflict greatly complicated the investigation on the ground. A mission organized by the Dutch Ministry of Defense, for example, did not reach the site until November, some three and a half months after the event. That was long after soldiers had been deployed to try and recover as much of the incriminating evidence of a missile striking the plane as possible. The researchers analyzed recorded data and debris and then partly reconstructed the fuselage skin of the aircraft. They ruled out bad weather, pilot error, mechanical failure or onboard fire or explosion, finally concluding that the crash was caused by the detonation of a warhead from a radar-guided missile fired from a book also called a SA-11 surface-to-air system that was more than capable of reaching the cruising altitude of Flight 17. The missile never struck the aircraft directly. Instead, it did as it was designed to do. The ground-to-air missile exploded a few feet away from the cockpit, which then showered the front of the plane with hundreds of shrapnel fragments through the fuselage. It's believed that the pilots were killed instantly and that the forward section of the aircraft broke off. The wings, passenger compartment, and tail remained in the air at least a full minute longer before separating and dropping to the ground. We also now know that the book missile system used to shoot down Flight MH17 came from the Russian Army's 53rd Anti-Aircraft Missile Brigade based in the city of Kursk. There are recordings of the separatist leaders and their men involved in the shooting down of MH17 which I've used and were recently confirmed by the Dutch investigators as valid. Here are the crucial parts with translations. Bez says, We've shot down the plane. That was Miner's group. It fell down outside Anakiebo. Jeronin says, Pilots, where are the pilots? Bez says, They're searching, they're searching for the plane to take pictures of it. A plume of smoke is visible. Jeronin says, how many minutes ago? Bear says, about 30 minutes ago. The plane broke into pieces in the air, close to Petra Palvioska mine. This is where the first 200 died. We found the first 200. It's a civilian. How are things going there? The Major says, well, we are 100% sure that it was civilian planned. Greg says, are there a lot of people? Major says, expletive, the debris was falling straight into the village. Greg says, what plane is that? Major says, I haven't figured out yet, I haven't got close to the main wreckage. Now I'm nearby the place where the first body started falling. There are remnants of internal brackets, chairs, bodies. Greg says, are there any weapons? 
Nothing at all, says the Major. Civilian belongings, medical scraps, towels, toilet paper. Are there any documents? asked Greg. Yes, one belonging to a student from Indonesia, from Thompson University. A militant says, as to this plane shot down near Shesni Torres, turned out to be a passenger one. It fell down outside Grabovo. There's a whole lot of bodies and women and children. Cossacks are now looking around here. On air they say there's a Ukrainian AN-26, a transport plane, but the writing says Malaysian Airlines. What was it doing over the territory of Ukraine? There was an intense campaign by Russia and the separatists after MH17, which tried to shift blame onto a Ukrainian fighter jet. Then Russia vetoed a UN resolution which was to assign blame for the incident on the separatists. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov told BBC News in June 2019 that there was nothing to discuss about the investigation's conclusions. Asked if Russia would ever hand suspects over for trial or put them on trial in Russia, Peskov said the Kremlin's position was already clear. You know our position on this investigation. Russia had no chance to take part in it, even though from the very start, the first days of this tragedy, Russia tried to be part of the investigation into this terrible catastrophe. So our position on this investigation is very well known, Peskov said. This, of course, is a blatant lie. Because the joint investigating team has released a statement since then saying that Moscow had not cooperated at all with those tasked with finding out who'd shot down the civilian aircraft using a military missile. Eventually, in 2019, investigators could finally state categorically that the fatal missile was launched from separatist-held territory in the Ukraine using weaponry brought in from Russia and returned to that country on the same day. It was now just a matter of finding out who was involved. On June 19, 2019, Dutch prosecutors followed up the exhaustive report by filing charges against four men, three Russians and a Ukrainian, in connection with the downing of Flight 17. All four were associated with the Russian-backed military operation in eastern Ukraine, and the three Russians had ties to Russian intelligence agencies. The most prominent suspect was Igor Gurkin, whom prosecutors identified as a former colonel with the Russian Federal Security Service, or FSB. Gurkin used the nom de guerre Strelkov, was commanding the Russian-backed forces in Donetsk, but he abruptly returned to Russia within a month of the crash of Flight MH17. The Dutch investigation team also stated conclusively that it possessed evidence showing that Russia provided the missile launcher that shot down the airliner. Then Dutch journalists Robert van der Noordai and Kuhn van der Fen conducted exhaustive research into how Russian trolls and what are known as sock puppets worked to shift blame for the massacre and create a dense fog of conspiracy theory to obscure the facts at the time of the incident and since. There is a conspiracy, but it's by the Russian state in order to avoid blame for letting the separatists take control of a book missile. It may have been 1950s technology, but it was lethal in the 21st century. Other investigative journalists working for the Bellingcat website have unearthed even more incriminating evidence implicating Russian special forces who had been sent to help the separatists fight in the east of the Ukraine. In a long-term probe, Bellingcat identified a man named as Orion in the recordings as a Russian, Oleg Vladimirovich Ivanikov, and said it had determined with high certainty that at the time of the dining of MH17, Ivanikov was an officer of the main directorate of the general staff of the Russian Ministry of Defense, the GRU. Ivanikov also served as a military advisor to pro-Russian separatists in the eastern Ukraine at the time the jet was shot down.
Oleg Vladimirovich Ivanikov, aka Orion, also supervised procurement and transport of weapons across the Russia-Ukraine border. Furthermore, Bellingcat identified former FSB Colonel Igor Strelkov on one of the phone recording intercepts, where he is directly related to the removal of the Buk missile launcher from separatist-held territory in the Ukraine back to Russia. Bellingcat concludes that since most of the separatists who can be linked to the dining of MH17 were his subordinates, it is likely that he was also fully aware of the procurement and import of the book from Russia. Others implicated are Sergei Nikolaevich Dubinsky, call sign Kimili, who requested the delivery of a battle-ready book missile launcher to aid his forces at the front line south of Shnizhne, and that he personally coordinated the transport of the book missile to the launch site on the 17th of July. Dubinsky was also involved in the removal of the book back to Russia after the downing of MH17. The full report demonstrates that Dubinsky also ordered some of his subordinates to secure the book near the launch site south of Shnizhny and that it was his group that may have played a key role in the final decision to shoot down MH17 under the presumption that it was an enemy aircraft. The images of bodies falling from the sky are horrific and shocked the world and Moscow's equally clumsy online troll attempt at tilting blame towards its Ukrainian opponent was so artlessly managed, it really is a matter of that old joke about the contradiction that is military intelligence. However, the fact that airlines continued flying this route directly over Ukraine's eastern province is also somewhat baffling. When men with missiles show up close to commercial aviation, the wise thing to do is to fly somewhere else. And that's precisely what happened after this terrible incident. Airlines diverted their flights. The fallout from this incident continues to resonate diplomatically, and MH17 has left Moscow with serious diplomatic damage, particularly with the Malaysians, let alone the other European nations, as Russia tries to offset America's sanctions campaigns. However, since that terrible incident, all airlines now divert flights well clear of likely areas of tension. For example, Indian flights were diverted from Pakistan airspace after India bombed separatist military bases inside Pakistan in 2019, and Qatar Airlines avoids UAE airspace as their simmering tension persists between these two Middle Eastern nations. Every week in a short history, we look at related matters in aviation, and this week it's the unhappy link between conflict and airliners being shot down. The first incident of a commercial airliner being downed was a DC-2 on August 24, 1938, during the Second Sino-Japanese War. The Kuei-Lin, as the DC-2 was named, was jointly operated by China National Aviation Corporation and Pan American, and was carrying 18 passengers and crew when Japanese aircraft forced it down in Chinese territory north of Hong Kong. Fifteen people died after the plane made an emergency water landing. Most survived the landing, but were then shot by Japanese planes, which strafed the plane as it lay in the water. Ironically, the plane was patched up and refurbished, renamed the Chongqing, but was then shot down again in 1940, as the third example in history of a commercial plane being targeted, unlucky indeed. And that time, nine died as it landed in Hunan in China, and was strafed once more by Japanese planes. Then, in 1940, two Soviet Aleutian bombers shot down a Finnish Junkers, killing all seven passengers and two crew on board. In 1942, a Douglas DC-3 airliner, operated by the Dutch KLM service, was shot down near Broome in Australia. Most passengers survived, but the three Japanese Mitsubishi fighters strafed the aircraft on the beach and killed the flight engineer and three passengers. 
The most well-known dining of an airliner, though, was Korean Airlines Flight 007, which was a Boeing 747 shot down by a Soviet jet fighter on the 1st of September 1983, west of Sakhalin Island, inside Russian airspace. 269 passengers and crew died. The investigation concluded the Korean airliner had deviated from its course after pilots made a mistake in configuring the air navigation system. Then, in 1988, Iran Air Flight 655 en route between Bandar Abbas in Iran and Dubai in the UAE was shot down by a US-guided missile fired from the cruiser USS Vincennes. All 290 passengers and crew on board died, and it was shown that the US cruiser was operating inside Iranian waters at the time of the attack. The Americans claimed the commander of the vessel believed the Iranian Airbus A300 was actually a descending F-14 fighter jet. But probably the most destructive downing of all time was the shooting down of the Rwandan presidential jet in 1994, which set off genocide and civil war. The Dassault Falcon 50 airplane carrying Rwandan President Javinal Habayaramana and Burundian President Cyprian Intaramira was shot down as they prepared to land in Kigali, Rwanda on 6 of April 1994. Both presidents died. This double assassination was the catalyst for the Rwandan genocide as well as the First Congo War. Responsibility for the attack is disputed, with most theories proposing as suspects either the rebel Rwandan Patriotic Front, RPF, or government-aligned Hutu power extremists opposed to negotiation with the RPF. Millions of people were displaced, well over half a million died over the next two years following this military shootdown. This instability continues in the eastern Congo to today. Next week, our podcast will deal with the crash of a Daimler Airways to Havilland in 1923, which led to demands that investigations into plane crashes be made public in the same way that railway accidents had been for years. So, until then, aviate, navigate, and communicate safely. Goodbye.